Welcome to the ride. Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Three Hats Financial, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, an IROC dealer. Let's get to it. We are here for The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth with Chris DeRoe of Three Hats Financial. Chris's guest is Peter Simpson of Simpson & Associates, a full-service accounting firm. Peter has more than 20 years of experience in tax and management accounting, and his firm offers a wide array of services, including part-time CFO controllerships. So let me guess, Chris, 2020 is almost over. Do you and Peter intend to discuss those always popular year-end tax tips? Yes, exactly, Patrice. So (laughs) obviously 2020 has been quite (laughs) the year to say the least. And it has also been a very confusing year in regards to taxes, grants, credits, because they uh, they were throwing all this stuff at us, which was a good thing because they were trying to keep our head above the water in regards to the economy. So there was a lot of people quite confused with all of that going on. And tax planning, it, it's, it's basically, it's a year-round affair. It shouldn't just be something you're just thinking of as you're going to hand your, your tax return into your accountants in April which is usually the pretty common way that people do their tax planning, but it should be a year round affair. So as the year end approaches, which I think a lot of people are pretty happy with specifically this year, it's now a particularly good time just to review your personal finances and take advantage of any tax planning opportunities that may be available to you before December 31st. So as we enter the final couple of weeks here or a few weeks here of 2020, I just wanted to bring Peter on the show to go over some end of year tax tips. Now, Peter and I, we, uh, <laughs> we met in an unusual way in our midlife 40s. Um, the way we met was kind of more of a way that people meet when they're in high school. We actually met by joining a rock band together and we played at a local bar a couple of times to try and make ourselves feel young. <laughs> right, Peter? That was, that was, yeah, that was quite yeah, a bit absolutely. of fun. Yeah, my kids loved it. Yeah, Chris, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. And yeah, that was a... That was a great experience. It's one of those, uh, it's one of those bucket list things you, you you can check off and say, oh yeah, I did the rock band thing. Absolutely. And then I then I very quickly retired from that. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a reason why we're not playing that sound intro at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Peter, what are some of the common tax credits and tax deductions? that are available for individuals this year and is there even special ones like available every year of course but also is there special ones this year that are also available due to the circumstances of covid yeah chris uh there i'll I'll just go through a few few of the different sort of common tax credits and uh i'll touch on uh, a couple of things that are kind of important for for this year for for certain people there's a disability tax credit that's uh, a lot of older folk uh, can get. It's worth about $1,500 in tax savings. Um, it's an application process that you have to go through between the taxpayer and the CRA and the taxpayer's doctor as well. The only reason I'm mentioning that one is um, a lot of uh, a lot of seniors 
are uh, on their Facebook and things like that. And they're getting messages from companies that will apply for those things for you, but they charge a lot to do that. It's 20 to 25% wow. of whatever they can get back for you. You can, you can go back retroactively for these things too. So it could end up being a $15,000 refund, but then this, this company will take, you know, two or three or $4,000 of that. I always recommend to my clients, if there's ever a situation like that, or if you know of anybody that wants to do apply for something like that, come to me or come to their accountant and they'll do it sometimes for no charge at all. And they'll, or they'll charge an hour's time or something like that. So just, just watch out for that. It's one of those little things that it looks like it's, and they try to make it look like it's coming from the government, these advertisements. Okay, so yes, that's a, a pretty big thing because, that. yeah, like you said, they're getting these ads, Facebook, for this disability tax credit. Yeah. And the, some of those disability tax credits, like, yeah. we're talking, we're not talking a couple hundred bucks here. Like, we, you could, they, that can be into the thousands. No, no, it's thousands. So it's uh, it's something that um, I do recommend that uh, someone go yeah. to the okay. account Great. to get that done for them. Yeah. Another one that's uh, new this year is a digital media tax credit. It's not a lot of money, but it's it's about $75 in tax savings. But if you're a subscriber, say, to, I don't know, the Globe and Mail online or, or something like that, they'll give you a they'll give you a tax credit for that. Um, another one is the new home buyers tax credit. I know a lot of your clients are sort of later in life, perhaps 40 and, and up, but it's something that they may be able to mention to their their kids is that um if their their children are are buying a new home, and there is a, a it's about a thousand dollars in tax savings, and when you have a new home buyer, and it's a tax credit, and also the home buyer's RSP withdrawal uh, is has been increased. Yeah, that will help with the significantly increased price of the houses, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, every bit helps, especially Southern Ontario. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Uh, there's a tuition tax credit. Uh, the only reason I mentioned that one is, again, if um, one of your clients has a, a child or even perhaps a grandchild, the student can transfer the credit over to the parent or the grandparent as well. So if they don't have enough income to be able to take the credit themselves. So it's, it's you know, again, that could be a couple thousand dollars in tax savings. So. What about people working from home? Because that's obviously a, a much more common scenario this year than it ever has been you must have read my mind that was my next <laughs> item <So laughs> uh, home office employment expenses that's a again that's a this year is a it's a really big one because yeah. um, think about the the vast majority of office workers have been working from home since march or april um, that's a it adds up uh, and the, the there's a process there and i do know that my accounting society has talks with CRA to try to simplify that this year, but I haven't seen any sort of concrete sort of evidence as to how they're going to make it simpler. The typical thing uh, an employee should do is contact their, contact their employer and there's a form, it's called a T2200 form and it's an employment expense form. So they have to get it filled out and, and it has to prove that you actually had to work from home and it's signed off by the employer and and that allows uh, that allows someone to be able to claim a portion of their home at, as an office. Um, there's also uh, a couple of other little tax credits. There's a it's a $500 credit that um, if you had to purchase something that requires you to 
of allows you, I should say, to work from home. And the CRA is giving an extra credit for that this year. So there's a there's a few other little credits in there. Then, and these are these are things. Or if your employer had to buy something for you, it's worth about five hundred dollars. Often that would be a taxable benefit to you. But this year they're they're allowing you to the employer to purchase something for you, and you keep it. And it's yours, but you don't also have to pay a tax taxes on it when it's a tele telecommuting type purchase. Say like for example a microphone or a better chair or a desk or 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 a part of a computer part or something like that. It, uh, it's an added added bonus this year. Okay, great. Well, those are definitely going to be helpful since a, yep. a heck of a lot of people are now working from home that they, that were not last year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, a couple other little things is a climate action incentive that started last year. That was a, a tax credit you get when you're, it's supposed to offset the cost of the carbon tax that was implemented by the government. It's two or three hundred dollars, though. So all these little things help with um, with savings. Yeah. Well, one, one other one might be donation tax credits. The only thing I want to mention about donations: you should save them up if you have less than two hundred dollars worth of donations. You can carry them forward for five years. Uh, anything over the two hundred dollar donation is worth double the credit that a the, you know, the amounts under two hundred dollars. So sometimes people might only have the two hundred dollars worth of donation. And then they claim them, and the next year they have another two hundred. If you save the two hundred and made it four hundred, you would actually have a lot more tax savings. Okay, great. That's a great tip. Yeah. So those are those are yeah. some of your basic sort of credits and deductions. There's a, there's lots lots more, but yeah, uh, but yeah, you know, don't want to go into it forever. No, that's and that's that's great, especially the ones like I mentioned again about working from home. Mm -hmm. So okay, mm -hmm. so let's move along. Sure. Let's now end of year. Um, people start talking about RSPs, mostly the mad rush is uh, February. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk, we won't spend a ton of time on this, but we'll talk about RSP deductions because people still get a little confused by that. Mm -hmm. And no rush listeners, like you don't have to get that in obviously before the end of the year, you can contribute up to March 1st next year, March 1st, 2021. As long as you contribute before that, that will count if you wish to use against your 2020 uh, taxable income year. So most people, they usually rush at the end of, end of February to kind of jam in as much as they can to RSPs and stuff like that. Of course, it is better to be contributing. I always prefer monthly. If you know that you are always doing the same lump sum every year at, at in February, March, it is better if you spread that out over monthly, just because that way you're it's called dollar cost averaging. You're buying the highs, you're buying the lows versus you're putting a lump sum in on one day and the market can be down a lot or up a lot. You're just kind of more exposed that way. So we always explain to our clients, like, look, you've been putting two or three or $4,000 in every year. Uh, the end of the year, if you know you're going to do that, how about looking at it possibly monthly? And even for people that aren't quite sure about what they're going to do, but they feel they're going to put a lump sum in, in February or so, if you already have some of that now, it wouldn't be bad to do half or a portion of that now and then the other portion in in February. I just kind of like to get people away from just doing those lump sums on those one days um, close to the deadline is what, what we're getting at. And then the earlier you put it in, you're getting that tax deferred growth on the investment growth. Uh, so Peter, I'll let you touch on this because a lot of people you'll hear that I hear and I explain to them, but people are like, Oh, I hear RSPs aren't great because I just get taxed on them so much when I pull the money out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
few things there. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the sort of the monthly annual thing for you as a financial planner, because that's more your world. And, you know, and as you know, from a financial planning point of view, uh, the earlier in age that you put money into RSP, the better. And it's the compounding and tax savings down the road. Everybody's seen those models where to get to a million dollars, if you put the money in when you're, say, 25 versus 45, how much less you have to put in over over a period of time. But that's that's more the financial planner kind of world. But um, so the, the concept of RSPs in the general kind of rule of thumb uh, is higher your income now, the dollar that you save, let's use a simple example, let's say $75,000 of income. And you, the dollar that comes off of that $75,000 is taxed at roughly, call it 40%. And then if you, as an individual, then retire, and now you're making $40,000, when you take the dollar out of the RSP and add it to that $40,000, it might be taxed at 30%. So there's an immediate, you know, there's a savings there because you took it, put it in at a higher rate than you took it out at a lower rate. On top of that, though, there is the tax savings on the money as you're earning it as it's going along when you're 25 years old and you take it out at 65. There's quite a bit of savings going on there, and, and you're, all that money is being earned tax free. And, and not only that, let's say you had that four or five thousand dollars that you mentioned that you put into an RSP. Then you're going to have that 40% rate. That's a couple thousand dollars in tax savings. So the $5,000 really only cost you $3,000 to invest because you have, you got back $2,000. What a lot of clients I see do is they take the $2,000 and then they put it into a TFSA. So they have the, the five earning money. They take the two that they saved and put it into a TFSA. And then the TFSA actually saves them money as well. But the general idea is that um, you'd, you'd want to look and sort of foresee a little bit into the future, into your retirement. If, if you foresee that you're going to have less income on average than you have now, and you have income roughly over fifty or $60,000 now, RSPs are a really great, really great concept. If you're going to have some really strong pension perhaps or something like that and you don't see a big differential then the RSP may not be as strong of a vehicle for you and you may want to look at TFSAs but in general most people earn less income than when they retire than they're earning as an employment income yeah an example of that is I was just speaking to a client this morning actually um, she's converting she has to convert her RSP to her she's a retired teacher mm -hmm. so she has a, a nice teacher's pension mm -hmm, plan mm -hmm. And she's just, she was just like, is there any way I can get around not taking this money? Because she's turning 71, so her RSP has to go to a riff. And she's like, I'm already getting clawed back in my old age security because of the pension and everything else. And she goes, is there any way I can not take this money? And I was like, no, unfortunately, you have to take the minimum uh, withdrawal amount because uh, next year you're going to be in, you're going to be turning 72 and we have to get that rolling. So uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's, she kind of wishes now that she hadn't put so much into RSPs, but just way back then she was told to do that. And if you have those healthy defined benefit pensions, like Peter mentioned, you just want to double check before you keep contributing to those RSPs. Yeah, I think you'll also, so, oh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that um, with RSPs and with with pension plans, they tip, typically, like a teacher, for example, probably wouldn't have had a lot of room anyways to put into the RSP because of the uh, the pension sort of clawback calculation that they do for RSPs. But still, they would have some room, and then yeah, they've got these great pensions, so it's not yeah. not the end of the world. But um, yeah, yeah. No. So the other thing I'll add for, for people is just that this is, I've seen, I've been seeing this more now than I had like 10, 12, 13 years ago is I'll add for people that are turning 71 this year is if you're turning 71 or you you've turned 71 this year, cause we're getting pretty close to the year end, you can still make a final contribution into your RSP before converting it into RIF. Now, some people might think, well, why would why would someone 71 still want to contribute to an RSP? They, they should be completely retired. Nowadays, we're still seeing quite a few people in their 70s, which are working um, because not because they have to, but just because it's healthy and they want to. But there's taxable income and some of them have quite a bit of taxable income because they have quite a bit of experience and stuff and they're consulting and things like that. So we're seeing more people in their 70s still wanting to get some tax breaks and they're able to still contribute. And this is, hopefully I don't confuse listeners with this, but they can obviously, they can contribute in the year that they've turned 71. And they can even do an over contribution in December of the year that they're 71. And because if they, ha- if they know they're going to have RSP room, the, the, the following year. So say they're going to, they know they're going to have RSP room in 2021 because they've made all this income in 2020. And that's how the RSP room is calculated. You can actually over contribute in December. Yes. They will be charged their 1% penalty on the over contribution, Only one month, though. but then yeah. yeah, for only one month. And then in January, that penalty is now gone and now the room opens up. So if that's something that you think you want to do, just speak to your accountant about it, but there is ways to still be able to do that. Now, the other thing is it's not necessary if you have a spouse that's younger than you and he or she still has, has a spousal RSP room, you can now use your contribution room and contribute to your spousal's RSP, even though now you're over the age of 71, as long as you have the contribution room available. So there's, Hopefully I didn't complicate it there, but if, basically if you're still 71 and working and want to contribute to RSPs, there is options and you can just speak to your accountant for clarity on that because yeah, a yeah. lot of people don't realize that. There's a couple of things there. Yeah, Chris, you're right. The the spousal RSP is based on the age of the spouse, not the, not the age of the contributor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't, and if some people just have a little bit of room left in their RSP and you know, then just never really used it and they, they got a few thousand dollars, you can, you can you can still contribute, right? Worth uh, worthwhile doing. The other thing I just wanted to yeah. mention is sort of end of life uh, planning. You, know, you don't want to talk about it too much, but you know, someone passing away. But some people are now looking at based on their age and their you know, where they're at in life. They've got a whole whack of or riffs at that point. People are starting to pull, taking lumps sums out of their riffs because if they obviously they leave it in there until they pass away and they're the last surviving spouse all of that gets added to their income all at once mm-hmm. on a tax return so if they've got simple example if they've got three hundred thousand dollars in riffs and they're the last spouse they pass away three hundred thousand dollars gets added to their income in one year 
So what I'm seeing some people do is take out chunks like $50,000 over three or four years to bring down the giant amount that's sitting in their in their riffs. They still pay taxes on it. You know, add $50,000 to so to a $60,000 income, you're at 110, but it's better than adding $300,000 to a $60,000 income all at once. Yeah. And of course there'd be some clawback on the OAS potentially, but that's that, be. that's small compared yeah. to the amount of tax the estate will possibly yeah. pay. So it's Well, if you look at tax rates, right? I mean, tax rates for an individual um, anything over 220-ish thousand is taxed at 53%. You know, so the government's getting 53%, you're getting 47 Yeah. So some people are trying to work around that by, you know, taking out chunks of their, of their riffs and so they can, their final, you know, it's hard that you can't plan your life that way, but it's, yeah. at least you still have the money to, you're not giving the money away, you're just paying it at a tax at a lower rate. Yeah. So then that's a good segue into now talking about tax-free savings accounts. Yeah. 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 Tax-free savings accounts are a great, great investment vehicle. There's a difference between RRSPs and TFSAs. So TFSAs are contributed to with after-tax money. So you don't get a deduction on your tax return like you would with an RRSP. So you're putting the money you pay, you, you work, you make money, you get $60,000 of income, you pay taxes on that. You got some leftover money, and then you buy, and then you put the money into a TFSA. So the TFSA, though, is earns income tax free, just like an RSP does. And when you withdraw the money, you don't pay taxes on the money that you're withdrawing. You don't have to add it to your income like you would with a with an RSP. So there's TFSAs. I think are a little bit different vehicle. You can talk about you know the financial planning side of TFSAs better than better than I can, but the general rule of thumb I find with investing, if a choice, you're saying, okay, well, how should I do this? I've got $5,000. Should I buy an RSP with it or should I buy a TFSA with it? And it depends on where you're at in your life, but the, the general concept is if you're earning over, say, $50,000 roughly, that's when you jump into a, a higher tax bracket and Often it's a bit, again, this is a very general rule of thumb, but it's better to typically put money into a RSP uh, than it would be to put it into a TFSA because you're you're in that slightly higher tax bracket once you've hit over $50,000. But there's, you know, TFSAs, I think, are a little more medium to short-term investor investments. RSPs are typically longer, longer term uh, investments. One exception for RSPs might be a first-time home buyer, for example. They will put money into a, an RSP, get the tax deduction, and then a year or two later they buy a house, then they take it back out again, tax-free through the home first-time home buyer's plan. That's sort of a thing that some some people are doing. They're getting the tax savings, but then they take the money out for a home for the home buyer's plan. Yeah, and I I always tell people the tax-free savings account couple things I see is I a lot of people they just it's the wording of the account too tax-free savings yeah. and a lot of times yeah. I find people if they're coming from certain institutions or they don't have an advisor a lot of times the money is just simply in a simple high, high interest savings type of product which 
nowadays high interest is not really what it is because the interest rates are so low but then they they don't realize that you can hold a whole bunch of you could have the same investments in your rsp inside a tax-free savings account and i mentioned them it's really important to have an investment that's going to potentially try and get you a higher return because if you're getting tax-free growth on one a one percent high interest savings like what's that's not really gonna help not doing a lot. No. So it's important to make sure that they're just invested properly. Um, and I always say too, like there's very, very, very few things in Canada that we can make money off completely tax-free. Yep. And that's why that tax-free savings account vehicle is so extremely important to have. I know, yeah, you, Peter, you mentioned that they're more um, medium term. I also like to, just from the planning side, I like to have retirees with them as well too, because mm-hmm. I tell the retirees, the RSPs, there, that's meant to supplement your paycheck. So you're going to be taking out your monthly amount and that's kind of really to supplement your paycheck. If they're fortunate enough to have a tax-free savings account in retirement, some people do, some people don't, like they haven't been around for 30 years, then the lump sum emergencies that will come up like a roof, a trip, a car, a furnace, that it's obviously better if you can take your lump sum out of that versus having to do it out of an RSP that's completely taxable, can screw up some of your tax credits because now you're taking all that money out. So it's it's a good to have a blend of both. Yeah, so it's- No, absolutely, I agree. And yep. the other thing too, I'll just add to listeners is, if you were thinking of taking money out of your tax-free savings account early January, it'd be better for you to take that out the end of December because if you take it out next year, you have to wait a whole year till the next January to get that room back in your tax-free savings account. Whereas if you take the money out now, you'll get the room back within a month and as soon as it's January 1st, 2021. So I see a lot of people sometimes make that mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that thanks, Peter, that was great. Um, yep. Let's go on to, I believe, RSP contributions. So um, the- Our ESP. Uh, yes. Sorry, our, our ESP contributions. So the education savings programs for uh, kids education. Yeah, they're they're again those are they're a great uh, great program. As you know, the cost of ed- post secondary education just keeps going up and up and up. It's very expensive to uh, have your kids go through post secondary uh, education. And the RESP again, it's I don't want to say it's exactly like a TFSA, but it the RESP contribution again is made with after-tax monies. So the RESP can be started with for, for a parent or even a grandchild, like a, grand, a grandparent can can open an RESP uh, for, a, for, a, for a grandchild again. So you don't get a tax deduction for it. There's, it's not like an RRSP where you get a tax deduction on tax returns, but the government does have a, a program in place where they give you a 20% of call it a bump on the amount that you've contributed. So there's a maximum of $7,200 in total that they will, you can add. And it's also a maximum on an annualized basis of 20% of $2,500. But you think about, okay, I'm gonna put $2,500 in, the government's gonna give $500 for, for doing that. And it doesn't, you don't get taxed on the $500. You kind of talked about ways and, Canada where you can actually get stuff the government tax-free 
that's another example right there. So it's yep. you're willing to put five hundred dollars towards a twenty five hundred dollar contribution. It's a great vehicle. Uh, you can invest uh, very similar to TFSAs, where you don't have to just have it sit in a one percent a year tax you know, savings account. You can actually invest in uh, other different types of vehicles. I've seen people typically, again, you're a financial planner, you see it more than I do, but I see people's tax returns and statements and they often invest in things a little more conservative perhaps because they don't want to lose the capital, especially when it's a year or two out from the child going to university. Yeah, that's that's really important. I know in 2008, there was unfortunately people that lost quite a bit in their their children's RESPs and right when they needed it. Yeah. And the kids were going to go to school obviously in the next year or so, and there wasn't enough time to recuperate that. So just really important tough. that people know that once their kids are getting close to that age of 17, 18, 19, that it, it, it needs to be, ideally it's adjusting almost every year, but you definitely just want to make sure as the kids are getting older, that you're double checking and your financial planner advisor should be doing that for you if you, if you have one, but if not, you just want to make sure that obviously they're much more conservative once it's getting closer to the child actually using it because they don't have time. Yeah, really, yeah, exactly. It's a little bit like, you know, planning for retirement, right? You, when you get closer to retirement, yeah. you as a financial planner would put someone into a slightly more conservative uh, portfolio. Yeah. So one thing I do want to add with the RSPs too is I'll add that if, if your kids are less if you're less than seven years before the kids turning 17, you definitely want to start doubling up if you can, because you can actually contribute up to $5,000 a year and grab unused carry forward uh, grant room, yeah. which will then give you a thousand dollars in credits. But the reason why I mentioned that is because most parents set these things up and, and once they have multiple kids and stuff like that, they're putting money in them, but it's tough. Like in the early years of a family and early to mid career earning years with the parents, there's not an abundance of cash flow for most people. So they're not, everybody is maxing these out every year. And then it kind of gets forgotten about, they just do their regular contribution. So if you're less than seven years away, because once the, from, from the child turning 17, you want to make sure that you're trying to grab as much room as you can, because once a child turns 17, you, you can still put money into the RESP, but you're not getting any grants. So it's just important to pay attention to that. And if you have the money to be able to double up and try and grab as much grant room as you can before the child turns 17. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've seen where people have, you know, the extreme, but they've borrowed money off their line of credit and contributed to it. <laughs> I don't, I don't recommend it. I'm yeah. just saying I've, I've seen that before where they, you know, they, they do that and just to get the 20%. Yeah. So, all right. So let's next, we're getting here towards the end. Well, the next we'll just touch on specifically this year, there's obviously the government's introduced a number of measures in 2020 to assist individuals who've been affected by the whole COVID thing. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure most people have heard of CERB and CRB. So Peter, can you tell people what the difference is and is there anything they should be thinking about for tax yeah, filing? Absolutely. With this? There is a few things to think about. Uh, so the CERB was the original sort of program. And that was where they had this $2,000 a month uh, thing where you would apply for it. It was very simple to apply for. And the, the challenge with that one is it is taxable income. So if you have a 
higher income and then you suddenly get laid off due to COVID and then you're collecting the $2,000 and you may have collected it five or six times. You could be up to eight or $10,000. Uh, the government wasn't taxing it at all. So that goes zero tax taken off of that $2,000. So you know you have say 10,000 extra dollars and let's say you had employment income of 40,000 or $45,000. Suddenly you've got an extra 10 being added to the 45. And that's potentially, you know, it could potentially be $3,000 in taxes on that money. I've done this with a few clients already where they've come to me and said, okay, I want to sort of plan for this now. Can you just give me a rough idea based on here's my, you know, here's my pay slip and here's how much I collected from CERB. Can you give me just an idea at least where I'm going to be sitting as far as filing my tax return next, next year? So it's something that I've done with a few clients already where we just want to have a feel for whether, you know, they're going to be hit for, it's kind of like that with uh, EI for people on maternity leave. They don't tax that enough. And I get clients come to me and say, oh my gosh, I owe, I owe $2,000. And I said, yeah, well, you, you have this EI thing and, and then it costs you, cost you money because it gets added to your other employment incomes. So that's CERB. That was a, a Canada Revenue Agency program. The CRB is a little bit different. It's run through the EI, the Service Canada. They're taxing it at 20%, but again, it's taxable income. So if, if you've been taking CERB, then suddenly you switch over to the CRB program. You're going to add just more income that's taxed at 20%. They take 20% off, but again, it's added to the top taxable income rate. And on top of that, the CRB, there's actually a clawback as well. So if your income is over 50, it's over 30, $38,000 in the year, they'll take 50% of the CRB back. Okay. It's kind of like the OAS thing. Mm -hmm. So there could be some big, uh, you know, could be some big tax bills owing and, and people are, I think, going to be very surprised this year. So I, I do recommend that you, if you really have been taking this stuff and you have a little bit of higher income, I do recommend that they, Go to their accountant and say, "Can you just give me a like?" I do this. I do this complimentary for my clients. I just say, "Okay, well, this is based on your last year's tax return. This is your income. This is how much you're going to potentially could owe." And they can, at least they can put it aside, or they might buy a they might buy an RSP with it or something. So, just to kind of counterbalance it. Yeah. So, like you said, because this is a very different year. Uh, mm -hmm. it's definitely good if people have accountants or if they, maybe if they don't have accountants, this might be a year they yeah. might need one is to get those tax projections done just so there's not any surprises. Yeah. The last thing you want is a, you know, a tax bill of $3,000 next year or something. Just at least you can, you can plan for it now when you're six months away from having to pay it. Exactly. You can at least put two or $300 aside at least just to, or you might like, like I said, you might buy an RSP just to kind of bring it down a little bit or, or something to try to counterbalance it a little bit. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Peter. That was great. And thank you so much for coming on the show and giving my listeners these great tips. I really, really appreciate it. And I know the plan is that we're going to be having you back soon to talk about tax tips for business owners and what they right. should be doing at the start of the calendar year. So we'll have, we'll have that come out uh, early January, just so uh, our listeners that are business owners can just get their ducks in a row for the next calendar year. Well, I really enjoyed it, Chris. Thank you very much.
And to make sure you know when that other podcast comes out, subscribe to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth using the subscribe button right on this page. Thank you to Peter Simpson of Simpson & Associates and our own Chris Rowe of Three Hats Financial. As I said, subscribe to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth using the subscribe button or share with the share button. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.